Hey guys, this is Greg. I'd like to welcome you to the Black Sheep Experience. Thank you so much for hanging out with me uh, on the podcast, man. I really appreciate you being here. This is day three of the 21 days of magical theory. So hopefully you've been able to join us for the first two days and you you know, have some takeaways, some things that are valuable to you, and you feel like you're progressing in the um, the uh, practice, right, of, uh, of magic, of witchcraft. And uh, that's the intent here, is to give you usable information. So today what I'd like to do, honestly, is um, tackle a subject that is probably... Um, one that I'm effective at, but I don't care about as much <laughs> as I once did. And that is regarding Christianity and witchcraft. And so the reason that I want to talk about this is because I know that to so many of you, this is a bit of a stumbling block. Um, you are concerned that your affinity, your draw to witchcraft, to magic is somehow offensive to God based on really just a few um, passages, right, in a very enormous book of um, really quite a lot of, of um, admonishments, uh, laws, legislations, and so on. So um, your concern, I think, is a little unfounded because when you're talking about such a huge book, and we're talking about the Bible here, it's such an enormous piece of literature. The references to magic are few and far between. Um, the references to witch, the word in and of itself, is pretty sketchy, and I don't think probably was a very good translation. So the um, concern is a little unfounded. But I also understand it because there's a lot of emphasis placed on that, and we're going to talk a little bit about why um, why that is, right? So I'm going to address a couple of quick points regarding Christianity and witchcraft in this podcast so we can sort of get that out of the way. And uh, for those of you that are post-evangelical or those of you that are really evangelical but still feel a strong tie to magic or to witchcraft um, or more of an earth-based existence, maybe this will give you a little bit of breathing room to experience that um, in a freer way. So the Christian religion and witchcraft have had a love-hate relationship, right, for a very long time. And to be honest with you, the hate has been pretty one-sided, right, with Christianity really, really hating on witchcraft and witches. Um yeah, actually, through history, Christianity has done um, some really horrible things to who they perceive to be practitioners of magic and witchcraft. And I do mean like awful things, uh, deplorable things, um, torture, um, drowning, burning at the stake, horrible um types of sexual abuse and and so on. So it seems a little funny, quite honestly, to have a podcast episode devoted to justifying witchcraft to Christianity. Hear me out. Uh, when in retrospect, Christianity should be probably 
trying to justify itself to witches, right? As well as apologizing profusely for the horrible things that they've done through the centuries. Uh, but alas, here we are. Um, <clears throat> and so I want to tackle this for you. What you're going to find probably from my disposition is a lot of false justification for this hatred towards witchcraft and magic. And so hang with me for a little bit and um, um, hear what I have to say. So sadly, there's very little reason for this hatred, right? And most of us were kind of duped by um, Dark Age fear mongers and haters that deliberately twisted the meaning of the biblical text for their personal agenda. So <clears throat> let's start with why this conversation um, is a little bit useless. First of all, the intention, right? Um, and, I, and I really want you to hear this, those of you that are, that are Christian and um, especially if you have any kind of evangelical blood in you still. Um, the intention, particularly in the New Testament, mostly through the ideas of Jesus Christ himself, is not to take a hard line, legalistic approach and connection to God. Um, Jesus is not so much about do's and don'ts, and you find this often, um, as he is about an actual connection and relationship with God, connecting with the divine. In fact, we find a lot of references to Jesus saying, you've heard it said this, and he would quote an Old Testament scripture, but I tell you this. And so many times Jesus actually um, has a conflict with scripture known as the Old Testament, right? He has a conflict with that and takes it upon himself to change what was written. So that being said, many of you think that this is about doing the right thing according to God. So let's talk about that just a little bit. So the Bible is often taken out of context in regards to the way that it's applied. Most people read the Bible as matter of fact, right? Um, black and white. When in reality, what you are reading are letters written to specific churches or, or towns, legends or mythos to teach a particular idea, and advice to local churches, peoples, and cultures. In other words, sometimes those histories as such or letters are extremely cultural. Um, they're relevant only based on a time-sensitive period to a specific people to which they were written. In other words, the Bible is not timeless, right? Sorry, but the Bible's not timeless. Parts of it are intended um, uh, listen to me now. Parts of it are intended to transcend time. That's for sure. Parts of it, however, are so culturally and time frame relevant that other than the story itself and what we can glean, right, about the religious history of the Hebrew people's journey with their God, um, the admonishments found in the story 
are entirely irrelevant, right? And that means that you cannot apply in any way the words written to a certain segment of people at a certain time dealing with certain parameters and then superimpose those legislations on a whole new time period. Does that make sense to you? So, um, and I'm not saying that any of the of the biblical text is irrelevant and I'm not saying that any of it is dated but what I am saying is that a, that there is as much of the Bible that transcends time is as much of it um, that is irrelevant right or does not transcend time and is written to a specific people uh, a specific people about a specific event um, in a specific culture. And so it's very irresponsible. It's very lazy. And it's an incorrect use of the text to just take um, a passage from any book, single that passage out, and then superimpose it on a practice that exists in the time, in the now, right? And so I... I I want to take a look at that a little bit because there's a lot of times that people have used passages that were culturally relevant to a date and time and people and then tried to use that that relevancy from another time period and superimpose it on the now. So let's take a look at something like Leviticus 19, which forbids divination or sorcery. Um, it also forbids a whole bunch of other stuff, right? And so Leviticus 19, starting at verse 20. If a man lies carnally or sexually with a slave girl promised to another man, but who has not been redeemed or given her freedom, there must be due punishment, but they are not to be put to death because she has not been freed. The man, however, must bring a ram to the entrance of the tent of meeting as his guilt offering to the Lord. The priest shall make atonement on his behalf before the Lord with the ram of the guilt offering for the sin he has committed, and he will be forgiven the sin he has committed. When you enter the land and plant any kind of tree for food, you shall regard the fruit as forbidden for three years. It will be forbidden to you and you must not, and it must not be eaten. In the fourth year, all the fruit that uh, must be consecrated as a praise offering to the Lord. But in the fifth year, you may eat its fruit. Thus, your harvest will be increased. I am the Lord, your God." You must not eat anything with blood still in it. You must not practice divination or sorcery. You must not cut off the hair at the sides of your head or clip off the edges of your beard. You must not make any cuts in your body for the dead or put two tattoo marks on yourselves. I am the Lord. Okay. <laughs> so clearly there's a lot of BS going on here, right? banging slave chicks, planting fruit trees, right? Not shaving the sides of your head. Um, so pretty clear this section of scripture was for a certain people at a certain time, right? And when we look at the Old Testament, firstly, let's understand that much of this 
uh, transcends time, but much of it does not. It's a book full of religious history. When it discusses forbidden magical practices, they almost always focus on working with uh, uh, demons. Um, we have like two verses at best that really deal with this, and that's Deuteronomy 18 and Exodus 22. And other than that, there's not much more of this. Now, so Deuteronomy uh, 18 is also really, really interesting, right? When thou art come into the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee, thou shalt not learn to do after the abominations of those nations. There shall not be found among you anyone that maketh his son or his daughter to pass through the fire, or that uses divination, or an observer of times, or an enchanter, or, or a witch, or a charmer, or a consulter with familiar spirits, or a wizard, or a necromancer. Wow, that's a mouthful, right? So the original meanings, and I'm not even going to try to pronounce the Hebrew words, although I looked all of them up, right, but I'll, I'll butcher them. But a few of these meanings are this. A poisoner, a master of spirits, gainer of information from ghosts, one who questions corpses. So clearly we have quite a liberal interpretation by the Dark Age translators, who by the way were hired and ruled over by King James, and that that matters, and I'll tell you why in a moment, um, who at very best really struggled with translating these words clearly um, and also trying to create a narrative in the time frame with which they lived. So I think it's safe to say that Deuteronomy, uh, this is clearly necromancy, not to mention sacrificing children, which um, seems pretty bad, right? So the intention when these words were written, sorcerers and witches in that day and time, and I personally doubt that the word witch was even really in use at, that, at the time, right? Um, these individuals gained their power from demons. Now, additionally, don't forget the Israelites were continually mingling with tribes that could at times be really barbaric uh, in many of their practices. I mean, brutally so. Uh, cruel, abusive, sadistic. So the admonishment is um, sons uh, or daughters that pass through the fire. I mean, this would be sacrificing their children. So God is separating his people from some brutal people, and he's calling them not to do the practices present in the culture that he was delivering them from. This is a far cry from the witchcraft and the magic that we practice today. Um, not to mention divination was always a part of the Hebrew people. So it, it's really a mistranslation to use words like witches and even sorcerers in this context. It's something that King James did because he had such a disdain and hate for witchcraft, right? Um, not to mention that really throughout history, I mean, even the disciples of Jesus used divination to uh, select the apostle to take the place of Judas. So clearly, we have so little as admonishment on magic and witchcraft anywhere, really, in this massive book that it becomes pretty obvious that these commands are relevant to the people of that day, to the practices very specific, and you'd have to do some deep cultural study 
of what was happening at that time to truly understand what it was that God didn't want them to do. And I cannot overemphasize that. So when we take passages specifically from books like Leviticus or Deuteronomy or Exodus and try to pull out passages and then use those passages to condemn practices that we're involved in today. It's irresponsible. It's irrelevant. It's it's bad bibliography. It's 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 horrible religion. And friends, it's abusive. It's absolutely abusive. So just for giggles, let's look at the final passage in Exodus 22 because it's hilarious, right? And and I and and the reason I want to present this to you is so you understand how ludicrous this is, right? Exodus 22, if a man seduces a virgin who is not pledged in marriage and sleeps with her, he must pay the full dowry for her to be his wife. If her father absolutely refuses to give her, that's right, give her to him, the man still must pay an amount comparable to the bridal price of a virgin, you must not allow a sorceress to live. In some translations, you must not allow a witch to live. Whoever lies with an animal must surely be put to death. If anyone sacrifices to any other god other than the, than the Lord alone, he must be set apart for destruction. So yeah, man, you're going to have to pay, right, the going rate for the bridal price of a virgin. So, look, I don't mean to be crass concerning a book that so many of you hold dear because I do too. Um, I love the Bible. But when someone says, the Bible says, my immediate response is, dude, the Bible says a lot of shit, dude. It says a lot of stuff. Some of it is transcends time it is absolute truth today and forever and i know what some of you are saying well the 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 bible says that the lord my god right changes not he's the same today yesterday and forever okay i agree with that but cultures do not stay the same and so we've got a god that's dealing with cultural significance at specific times with specific practices and he's giving those times and practices and cultures and people admonishment for the things that they're going through at that moment so yeah man at some time it was culturally relevant to pay the going rate for a virgin bride if you deflowered her can you imagine that that at one point in time there was a marketplace on a woman's virginity and if you fucked her guess what you had to pay her father the going rate for that it's deplorable and it's disgusting it's misogynistic but that's what was happening at the time so you want to rip a verse out of there verse 18 you must not allow a witch to live and say, well, that condemns witchcraft. No, it condemns a culture. It condemns, it condemns a culture that was sick, barbaric, 
immature and a long ways away from where we are today. We have to start using any religious text with responsibility. We actually damage one another and the human evolution when we just blurt out verses that clearly belong where they were created, the past. Another issue is King James created the most popular Bible of all time, and so many, even modern translations, um, did not escape his influence, but King James was an absolute mess. It's a terrible translation, marred with bias and manipulation, and King James was scared to death of witches. I mean, really afraid. And I could elaborate on that, but... It's really not worth it. I mean, he he thought that storms at sea were witch's fault. And, and, and I mean, just, you know, he was really a messed up guy. And so his translation made sure to condemn um, witchcraft. And he did horrible things to all kinds of people. King James um, created a philosophical dissertation called the Demiologue. And... Um, it included a study on demonology and the methods of demons used to, to trouble men. It also touched on topics like werewolves and vampires. It was political and theological to um, inform people on the history and the implications of sorcery and why persecuting witchcraft in a Christian society was canonical law. I mean, it was a mess. And from that, you had inquisitors like Jacob Springer and Henrik Kramer, who wrote uh, Malleus Maleficarum, um, which assisted witch hunters in the gruesome task of diagnosing and punishing so-called witches, who were always women, right, who they believed were sexually vulnerable to the devil. And these guys were scumbags. They were perverts. They were abusive. Thousands were arrested. They were brutally tortured, often sexually, uh, until they got their uh, death sentence. And, and they would strip these women down. They would burn them with hot irons and believe that they became sexually aroused by their BDSM behavior. It was the devil. No. Listen, um, what you have here is an abusive group of people, mostly men, and I am a man, and I get tired of the men bashing, but uh, or man bashing stuff that happens, but these were sick, twisted, perverted men wanting to hold on to power and choosing to persecute a people, and the best way they knew how to do that was to twist scripture, the Bible, which is a reference that you can't argue with, or at least you couldn't at that time. And that's how we got where we are today, where we're confused. Can I be a Christian and can I be a witch? Can I be a Christian and practice magic? And you understand that the entire conversation the entire argument, the, the entire concern 
is invalid. It's pomp and circumstance. It's a fraud. To take away the power of the people and place it in the hierarchy of the church and the government. We could go through the process of tearing apart words and finding the original Greek, and, and I've done all of that. But it's not worth the time. So, um, let's leave this where it should be, right? In the past. For those of you that are Christians, it does appear that God doesn't want you to deal with demons and the devil and that kind of spiritual endeavor. But by and large, that's not what witchcraft is. In fact, most witches, if they're organized on any level, they don't believe in a devil and they don't want his assistance. So hopefully this has been helpful to you. Um, you know, I apologize for being a little passionate about this, but I've spent most of my life um, in conflict with a hierarchy that wants to create fear, that wants people to be afraid of God, and I just don't do it very well anymore. <laughs> so, yeah, hopefully this has been a little bit helpful to you. Again, my... Um, my direct messages on Instagram are open to you. You're more than welcome to ask any questions about this that you want, and I will respond to you or even create another podcast about it. You can reach me at theblacksheepexperience at gmail.com if that's easier for you, and I'll answer questions there. Your practice, once again, for day three, get your little candle out, whatever it is, and meditate on that for 10 minutes. So what we're trying to do in the meditation, because I've had several of you ask, and if you looked on Instagram, you can see that the way you sit doesn't matter at all. But what you want to do when you're meditating is you want to focus your gaze on that flame or that candlelight, whatever it is. And um, you don't want to be in a frame of reference where you have no thought, but where you almost uh, enter a trance-like single pointed concentration right where that candle flame is the only thing that you're really thinking about the way that it flickers the way that it moves and this is why in in many of my um, uh, teachings on meditation I really don't recommend that you use music I don't think necessarily that it's bad but sometimes our mind can get caught up in the music, right? It can get caught up in whatever it is that we're hearing. When what you're really trying to do is enter almost like a trance-like state um, a focus on that flame, whatever it may be, right? So that is your practice for day three. And I will catch you on day four. Once again, guys, look, it, I know this is a heavy subject, this one, right? And I've treated it... Um, a little rough and so if you do have questions of a theological nature you know that you that you need answers to move on I, I really am happy to answer those for you because I, I love and care about you so uh, the best way again to reach me is uh, the black sheep experience on Instagram you can just direct message me 
or you can email me at theblacksheepexperience at gmail.com. God bless you guys, man. Blessings. Done.